Hello, everyone. Welcome back to A Priest and a Rabbi. This is Father Christian. Today, oh, I'm missing my rabbi. He is out loving on his family, and that's always a good thing. Um, however, or and, not and, I, I uh, it created a beautiful opportunity um, to, to bring in a, a, a colleague of mine who's out there doing incredible work with this, um, with the work of sacred storytelling, which that's just holy scripture, right? It's just sacred storytelling. That's, that's when you look at Hebrew scripture, it is just years and years and years of sacred storytelling. Jesus told stories. So we need to tell our sacred stories. And maybe, just maybe, our ability to tell sacred stories can help us heal communities, heal congregations, and approach the heavy topics of race, sex, you name it, politics. Um, but we do it from the heart, and we do it through vulnerability, uh, and we do it through storytelling. Um, so we have brought on today um, Reverend Hershey Mallet Stevens, Mallette Stevens, and she is our guest today. Uh, so Reverend Hershey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Father Christian. I'm so glad to be here. So I feel bad for the rabbi, but that means we might have to bring back Reverend Hershey again so she can do a show with the rabbi because I can see you two connecting big time. But yeah, I'm really <laughs> interested in seeing his hair. So I'm very curious. That is the common, common theme here is the rabbi's <laughs> hair. Um, so we will have to bring you back. But first, let us do the first episode, part one of Reverend Hershey talking about sacred storytelling. You ready, sister? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, everyone. Uh, subscribe, please, to our podcast and leave a comment. And if you ever have any comments that you want to get us personally, you can email us at a priest and a rabbi podcast at gmail.com. All right. Stay tuned and buckle your seatbelts. represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Stuart, Florida, and everyone from around the world. This is Father Christian here from a priest and a rabbi, wishing you a very, very blessed day. And my gosh, it is a little overcast here today, and it is so humid. I walked out to grab the newspaper, and I was sweating and sweating. So maybe in your, you're in your car grabbing some AC. Um, as you can tell, I, I, you're not hearing the rabbi. And usually by this point, I'm making fun of his hair. Um, he is off of this family because the minister, ministry's first call is always to the family. So you're stuck with me, but don't worry, I'm not going solo. Uh, I, I brought in a big gun. I brought in uh, Reverend Hershey Mallet Stevens. I'm going to be bringing around in just a couple, just a couple minutes. Um, but we're going to be talking about storytelling, and we're going to be talking about how do we heal and grow into God 
through this way of telling our sacred story and how do communities tell a sacred story and how do we deal with the divisiveness that we see many times in our community that often if we can just sit down and tell our story, especially in a faith setting, uh, we can heal and grow together in empathy and really get on the same page of humanity. Um, so that's all, that's all we're trying to do today. I mean, that's just real simple, just healing communities, uh, we might even try to solve racism in the next 45 minutes. All this stuff is possible with God. I mean, it's incredible what's going on here at a priest and a rabbi. Um, just so you guys all know, if you've ever missed any of the shows, uh, we do, this is edited into a podcast. So you can always go on to a priest and a rabbi uh, .podbean.com or just Google a priest and a rabbi. Check them out, leave a comment, subscribe. Even if you hate us and you leave a bad review, it's good for our analytics. So haters, come come get us because it actually helps us in the end. All right, my friends. So without further ado, let me bring on our beloved guest, Reverend Hershey Mallet Stevens, uh, a native Carolinian. I think I said Carolinian, correct? That's, you did. I'm, I'm from Chicago, so I, I mess up these things. <laughs> um, she uh, baptized and raised at St. Ambrose Church in Raleigh. Um, now, if you all remember out there, for all of my non-Episcopalians, non-Anglicans, that you had the royal wedding priest. Uh, remember the guy who preached at the royal wedding? She worked for him in his office of evangelism, where she was a project lead for the beloved community story sharing campaign. So she heard stories of faith and race and, just, and from all ages and all backgrounds. So this is really her bailiwick. Uh, and, uh, but she is currently the dean of St. Augustine's Chapel in her hometown of Raleigh married to her love, Rob Stevens, and they got a beautiful son, Jeremiah. Um, her, her hubby is uh, fighting the good fight out there for the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, and uh, we are just so happy to have Reverend Hershey on the show today. Reverend Hershey, welcome, welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you so much, Christian. I didn't realize that I was here to babysit you while the rabbi was away. You are definitely so, babysitting me, keeping me in line. He keeps me yeah, in line. Yeah, I so charge you more. <laughs> you, you should. I should. We, we had to blow our budget just flying you in on Zoom Airlines. Oh, yeah. Um, that, is, that is the one blessing of the pandemic. You can get to uh, hang out with your friends who you would have been way too busy to be with before uh, coronavirus. People you can get on shows, have do preach and teach at your churches because normally you have to fly them in. Now you can just say, hey, yeah. jump out of Zoom. You're not doing anything. <laughs> but but, I, but that's not true of you because you got your hands full, literally, with little Jeremiah. Um, oh, yeah. We, we had a falling out. I didn't know that, you know, like fashion since started at one year old. This morning I was running around trying to find a pair of turquoise Crocs because a 14-month-old refused to wear other shoes. So, and, and what was he turning down? What, 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 what color uh, was he turning down? He was turning down the dinosaur sandals, which I think are really cool. But I probably just think they're cool because I bought them. Well, that's right. Know. But were they simple dinosaur or did they get like Velociraptor or Brontosaurus or something? Yeah, there's, there's all sorts. It's, a, it's kind of a, a mosaic pattern of dinosaurs in a black oh. background. It's really cute. I like them, yeah. but he was not having it. Yeah, so. well, the, the, boy, the boy's got fashion sense. It's starting early, so keep up. Keep <laughs> we up. just wear black. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's all right, simple. my sister. You, you um, tell us a little bit about, you know, on the, on the, on the podcast here and on the radio show, Rabbi Durbin and I talk a lot about 
We talk a lot about reconciliation. We talk a lot about community building, building community. How do we do it, especially in the 21st century world, especially in America, and especially here in Southeast Florida. The, the game is different. The world is different. There's so much competition for community building. Um, and and uh, you have found a niche. Um, you have many of them, but one of them is this gift of exploring the gift of storytelling, this gift that God has given us. So tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about it and why it's so important for us as believers in God um, and potentially as people who want to build healthy community in, in our in our neighborhoods. Yeah, I, um, I come to stories, uh, well, you know, when I think about like someone asked me, oh, when did you first like fall in love with stories? And I was kind of immediately transported back to when I was about four years old um, I grew up in the recovery community and going to NA and AA meetings, and I um, come from a family of four siblings, so we would all go to the meetings, and then we would come home, and we would put our, uh, like, California raisins, you know, snuffle up against, and, you know, the uh, Care Bears, I'm a child of the 80s, and we would put them all in a circle, and we would play a game that we called Hi, Bob, and so you stand up, you say, Hi, Bob. And Bob would share a story, and then we would all say together, thanks for sharing, Bob, and sit down. And one day, my mom walked in on us playing Hi, Bob, like with our stuffed animals in a circle, and she was like, oh, my gosh, no more meetings. And so I just tell that story to say that at four years old, at, you know, as a six-year-old, I knew that something powerful was happening in the room when people share their stories, and I think Ever since then, I mean, especially when we when we think about resurrection or um, what we call resurrection, I think the recovery community has got a, a hold on helping people express the way they find resurrection in every day by telling their story. So that's kind of how I came into the, the powerful world of stories. Yeah, you know, it's. You, you, when you say that, I'm thinking about the times where, you know, you and I are both Episcopalians, and so we're servant leaders in the church, and there's times when we try to facilitate or help people tell their, their story, tell their testimony, you know, other mm -hmm. denominations would say testimony, and at least in my, in my experience, you really got to work with people, help them get comfortable, because that's not big in our tradition for people to get up and give their testimony, um, and so sometimes for me, it takes like weeks to really get someone to get below get down deep down to the roots of their story and then get the confidence to stand up in front of the congregation and tell something very yeah. vulnerable that story uh but you're right 12 step it's you walk into that meeting and it's immediately vulnerable the first thing you say is hi my name is christian and i'm an alcoholic and we're just going to start there um i got nothing to hide and let me tell you my story and it just draws you in and so that I, i'm with you i think 12 step to me has been one of the greatest influences on just being a pastor and how, how to how to do church uh, and for that to be your guiding light and got you to get gummy bears to tell their personal stories to each other as a six-year-old yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's powerful stuff so i, I was, I was desperate for the pulpit <laughs> <laughs> all right so so 12 step is, is what formed you you realized it was something sacred and then when did that start to that storytelling did it continue on or did it start to pop up again once you started pursuing uh, the vocation of, of the priesthood so yeah, I grew up in a storytelling family. You know, uh, my dad has these like sayings. You know, when we would when we would cry on the softball field, he would say, "Oh, you just soft as candy." So just this kind of 
hyperbole, like this language. I'm a Southerner too. Like Southerners, we, we make up ways to to express and communicate things. Like, you know, if my room was dirty, my dad was like, why do you want to walk around like a billy goat, you know, to get into this room? So part of like my formation as, as a child um, was kind of hearing this this language, hearing language in new and different ways to, to say one thing like, why do you want to walk around like a billy goat to get into the room? When That sounds much more fun than your room is messy, you know? So uh, as a kid, I kind of grew up hearing that. And then when I went to, um, when I went to college, I studied history and I went to a historically black college in North Carolina and I majored in Russian history. Oh, wow. Random. But I, I really fell in love with the stories that the peasants were telling, even while they were under the occupation of, um, of, of communist Russia. And so they were able to tell these stories um, and keep, keep their culture alive through stories. And so for me, that was kind of an aha moment, like, oh, stories help us be more of who we are no matter where we are stories can't be taken from us they belong to us you know no matter what so um then i went on to study uh public history and that is where i learned to put stories to use in the public sphere so public historians do things like create um you know uh like you go to the airport and you see like those um exhibitions about airplanes you know like or exhibitions about the small run one-way strip that the airport used to be, you know, in in the middle of a field. Those are the things that public history and historians do. They they try to communicate the everyday history that's happening all around us. So you were doing that for quite some time. You're the person when I'm at West Palm Beach Airport, telling me about that that first airport and they had the little plane that's inside there. Was was that was that your handiwork? So no, I was not at West Palm Beach Airport. I actually was um, a park ranger and they have park rangers who work in uh, historic sites and they're called cultural resource uh, officers or so I had a like Yogi Bear outfit and I worked inside telling the story of Mary McLeod Bethune and uh, Carter G. Woodson in Washington DC so I was an urban park ranger. Okay so when you're so I'm assuming from early on you had to like as a preacher now, you are constantly having to say, how is this going to land in my context? How is this going to land with my congregation? How is this message going to work for them? I know what I want to say, but I got to figure out what they want to, you know, how is this going to mm-hmm. hit them? So when you were in your Yogi Bear outfit, were you thinking constantly like, what is the average person who's going to show up to read this and how will this, you had to yeah. be thinking about that already. How do I form this message so they hear it and are interested? Right. Yeah. So I'm going to give a very different tour you know, um, to a group of third graders than I would to, you know, a family coming in or, you know, actually I learned to be a tour guide because in Washington, D.C., it gets very hot and humid. I know it's nothing compared to the humidity in Florida, but it is hot and humid in Washington, D.C. The Potomac River just makes all the humidity. It just makes a bubble. It's awful. And so people used to come in just for a drink of water people who um, didn't have homes or who lived in, in camps at McPherson Square. This was back in the day in Washington, D.C. Um, and so I learned to be a tour guide. I learned to be a preacher. You know, I'm like, yeah, come in, get your free water, get our good air condition, but you're going to have to listen to my tour. 
And so I learned to be a tour guide giving um, people who are homeless tours. And and they just helped me because they were be brutally honest, like that's boring. And so <laughs> <laughs> they would be I brutally honest. being an actor doing children's theater, man. You you they'll they'll tell you right away if your stuff yeah. stinks. Man. Yeah. Man. So yeah, and then God was and planting then, the seeds in you early, girl, for you to be this <laughs> powerful preacher. Because you from early on you had tough audiences and you had to bend your message in order to really communicate your your gospel at the time till yeah. God fully got a hold of you and said, Nope, I want you to go I want you to go full full hog with 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 uh with this vocation. But okay, so then you're doing that and then did that was there another step before you you went towards the priesthood? Um okay. Then I worked at a bank. So oh, I was doing everything to try not record, record screech. Yes. But <laughs> I was doing everything to try not to be a priest. I was like, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I I love church. I really did. And I love participating. And, you know, I I work with youth and I work with women of the church. And I was like, that's great. But so then I worked worked for a bank for three years. And but it was there that I learned like money is the like the sacred thing in our culture right it's the thing that we keep closest to us and I was a um, financial services officer and so I had to work to pull out from people their story about money because a part of my work was education like helping people take better care of their money helping the young folks learn to budget and things like that and so a part of teaching them how to do those things was learning about their story um, when it came to money. And so there again, I was using story to help bring people out, to help them tell their story, you know, and I would inevitably share a bit of my story. And I thought, well, if I can talk to people about money, I could talk to people about anything. So finally, yeah. finally, after talking to people about money for three years, I went to seminary. I, I, really, God's hand is all over this. You know, do you, we, we yeah. read the, the Gospels and, and Jesus has a lot to say about money. Uh, and so to be able to tell stories about money and our relationship with money. Uh, and I, I imagine, too, when you were talking with people in the bank about their story with money, it, it, it can get to people's hearts really quickly because you're talking about their dreams and you're talking about what yeah. their, their what, what is their vision and what do they want to create together as a couple or as a person? What are their goals? And um, mm -hmm. money gets us vulnerable can get us fearful yeah. can get us excited um and uh so yeah all right so you you had multiple seminary educations before you even got to seminary uh, yes. and so i'm assuming that once you started digging into the bible uh from a from a scholastic perspective uh, your your uh, relationship with storytelling must have i mean what was that like then now that you're reading about uh the, the hebrew folks and all the storytelling going on there what was that like yeah, yeah. So I had a wonderful, a wonderful teacher. Um, and he, he said that every people has a story to tell. And they have, they tell the stories to say something to themselves, to them, to their children and to the world about how they think, how they live and how they determine and affirm their reason for being. And this teacher, um, he he has passed on James Cone of the memory. Uh, he made us read every book we read, every Bible verse we read, we would have to write. 
And of course we're writing, kind of analyzing, you know, the pieces and parts of the story. But the last page of every, every essay we turned in, he made us write what it meant to us. What, what, what is this story saying to you? What is it saying to your people? How is it affirming you? How is it giving you power to determine? Um, and so when I begin to read, reread, well, and some, I'm going to be real Christian, you know, we Episcopalians, so like, it's not like we sit around reading the Bible. Um, we read it at church. We do. It is, it is our weak spot. So when I began to reread some stories and read others for the first time, like Judges and uh, Chronicles, I call that fighting in foreskin. I, I feel like those people, if they can be God's people, if God is begging them to love him, then I'm not that bad. And God really That's does good. want me to. And That's so, good. you know, I'm, I'm constantly reading those stories to hear about the ways, you know, I remember reading Jenkins and like, these people, they just keep messing it up. You know, yeah. they're not doing the right things. They're fighting, they're training their women. They're, you know, they, they just keep just screwing up royally, right? And so I was like, they're terrible. And then all of a sudden I realized those people are us. Right. We keep messing it up and God keeps right. calling us back. And right. I was like, okay, all right, I'm good to go. You know, that I, you could take that the wrong way, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of sinning I can do and God will still love me. Yes, true. But should you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. So when, when did it occur to you that said, listen, uh, I want to, because I remember one of my first times knowing that you had this passion was we were both in an, an Evangelism Matters conference. And, and for all of you surprised that Episcopalian and evangelism are in the same sentence, do not be surprised uh, because we are all called to be evangelists. And, uh, but you were there talking about, um, and, I, and I forget the, the title of it, but it was this relationship between telling our story and God's sacred story. Um, had, was that when you really, this was like probably four years ago, five years ago, uh, when you started to hit the ground running with teaching now this approach? Um, yeah, so I, the reason I kind of, so I use stories to get people to talk about themselves and their experience of the church, um, mostly because, like you said, Episcopalians can be very tight-lipped. I went to college with several people who were Episcopalians and never knew it until after I was ordained a priest, and, you know, I'm interacting with these people daily in undergrad, and then I was ordained, and they would write on my Facebook wall, oh, I you know, I was an Episcopalian. I'm an Episcopalian. I went to St. You know, Stephen's. I'm like, that was right down the street from Redeemer where I was going. So right. a part of what I wanted to do with story is use it as a kind of um, non-threatening way to pull people out to, so the Episcopalians would tell me about their faith journey, tell me about why they love their church, tell me about, you know, the things that are hard for them or challenging, tell me about their experience of race in the church. Um, because our church is unique in in some ways in that it is all around the Anglican communion is all around the world it's everywhere that the English empire was which is unfortunate but it also means that we are connected to people that we wouldn't ordinarily be connected to you know so we are speaking the same liturgical language as people in South Africa as people in the church in you know uh, Japan as people in uh, England and 
South Florida and North Carolina, we're all hearing the same thing, saying the same prayers. And so I began to think about how to use, you know, our love for liturgy and our love for story, because our liturgy is a story, to get people to share their experience of race and difference um, in our church. This is, so in the second half of the show, this is where we're going to go with, how do you, you see where this is going, everyone, that there's many difficult conversations that sometimes we dodge in the church. Well, let's say often we dodge in the church. Uh, one of them for a long time has been sex. We don't talk about sex in the church when we, 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 we need to do that. And when we do in healthy ways, it can be very healthy for our congregation. Uh, but another one is, is race. And uh, especially in, in the last uh, year, last four years, it, it's joined the, the, the don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, now don't talk about race. Because if you do, I'm going to get up and leave. Um, but, <laughs> however, our Lord calls us to the work of reconciliation. And so many of us are out there wondering, how do I do this, especially if I have a pretty diverse congregation in political thought and sociological thought? Uh, how do I approach this without getting people to get up out of their pews and walk out or get the nasty emails or get people just distracted and it just it, it turns into political sound bites? Um, that's not what the work we want to do. We want to get people just ground into God's vision of a beloved community. And race is a big piece of that, and especially here in America. Um, I do believe it is our, our original sin that God has said, now what are you going to do with this, people of God? Um, and so in the second half of the show, Reverend Hirsch is going to help us. If you're one of those folks out there, either in your synagogue, in your temple, in your church, in your mosque, and you're just like, how do we do this? Uh, Reverend Hershey's approach to storytelling can be that way to not skim the surface, get vulnerable, get underneath, but you're going to do it from the heart with empathy and to hear one another's stories uh, that can really open us up um, to hear each other, to change our perceptions, to change our understanding, and to celebrate this beautiful, beloved community as um, the presiding bishop talks about. So, Reverend Hershey, we're going to to, to to grab a coffee um, and and or water or whatever whatever your whatever your thing is at nine thirty a.m. I got both of them. <laughs> good, good for you. Okay, and and then we're going to take a break to hear from the people who paid for your Zoom Airlines plane ticket, and oh, uh, then we'll come back <laughs> and uh, we'll jump into part two of a priest and rabbi of sacred storytelling with Reverend Hershey Mallett-Stevens. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to A Priest and a Rabbi here on 1450 WSTU here in Stewart, Florida. Um, and if you're going to be listening on the podcast later, um, we are all over. I don't know if you guys know this, but I was telling our guest, Reverend Hershey, that uh, we're huge in Yemen and we continue to be big in Yemen. So for all those in Yemen, God bless you. We love you. Keep on sending us your comments um, and we hope to keep on making you proud. Uh, all right. So we're here with Reverend Hershey talking about sacred storytelling. And the reason why is storytelling is a way where we can and this is not about just sitting around and talking about the Bernstein beer so this is we're talking about how do we get as people of faith to get to some pretty tricky subjects that we are afraid to talk about anywhere but specifically in a house of faith I had a lot of people email me father please don't talk about politics please don't talk about race please don't talk about I mean there's things I don't want that from the pulpit but when I read the Gospels, Jesus is not afraid to take on the big topics. He wasn't like, no, let's not talk about that, guys. I don't want to get everyone upset. He went for it, right? He was—he had strategy. He had tactic. He was—he was—he know how to read the people because he loved the people. Um, so we, you know, I was telling Reverend Hershey yesterday when we were talking about the show uh, how um, we 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 channeled our inner Reverend Hershey when after uh, George Floyd was murdered. As as many uh, houses of faith, like how 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 do we approach this? What do we do with this? You know, there's the the country um, it reignited a racial reckoning, a racial understanding of just how. Let me understand. Let me get clarity. A lot of uh, at least white churches were trying to figure out like. We just had big question marks overhead, and so we said, "Let's let's do a listening series." And so we invited uh, to the church. Unfortunately, we had healthy relationships with a lot of the uh, black churches and in, in Stewart, and invited our friends to come in and say, "Can you just tell us your story? Tell us your story. What is it like to be a black man in Martin County? What is it like to be a black superintendent? What is it like to be a black sheriff? All, all these things." And then we also invited. The, the 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 white sheriff to come in and the white uh, head of the police um, to tell their stories. So we heard everyone's stories. And I can just tell you, Reverend Hershey and everyone listening to that, it was unfortunately during the pandemic. So we didn't have live audiences. This was all streamed. And I would have loved to have seen the faces of people and have a live Q&A. Um, but the feedback of having some of our friends like Pastor Gore from the Pentecostal Church of God in Christ, who is a big friend of St. Mary's, love him and to hear him tell us that to this day he still gets pulled over routinely um, he tells a story of him washing his boat in his driveway and having cops pull up and asking him that you know thinking that maybe he's stealing his, the boat he's like I, I live here this is my boat and well I love happened. that he was washing it before he stole it <laughs> I don't know like you know who wants to steal a yeah, dirty it, boat it, 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 like that thief, one time we got caught playing video games in the house. Before he stole it, he, he wanted to play it. Yeah, sure uh, I'm not stealing working. something dirty here. I ain't going to steal something <laughs> dirty. I got it. <laughs> um, so, but to your point, I mean, that's silly, right? That's even silly. You would think that would be like, uh, he's washing the boat. Why would he be stealing it? So anyways, his story coming from his heart and opening up and not from a place of bitterness, but just saying, I want to connect with you and I trust you. You trust me. And I normally don't tell the story, but I want to tell you because you've asked me to come in, moved everyone's hearts, and I think opened up a lot of people's eyes, at least from our congregation, to be like, oh, I didn't, I don't see that. I'm just some white guy 
that doesn't happen to me. I'm thinking we're way past that as a community, but apparently we're not. But I'm not hearing these stories routinely because Sunday still intends to be the most segregated day of the year. So I don't hear these stories on a routine basis. So we have to be intentional about creating spaces where we do hear each other's stories. And it doesn't have to be just someone who's black, someone who's white. It could just in your own congregation. You know, Reverend Hershey, you're, you had a story about that as well. But um, so th that was our inner Reverend Hershey working with us at the time. So thank you, Obi-Wan Kenobi, for, 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 for that. Um, but um, so how how do we continue? Is that, Was that a step in the right direction, do you think? You just bring someone in to tell yeah, us your story? And I, so I think you hit on it. Stories are powerful. They, they go straight past our brain to our hearts. You know, and, and our hearts are a center of intelligence for us, right? Like, you know, we know it's it's kind of kind of like when you walk in a room and your intuition, you know, like, oh, you see someone, you're like, that's an interesting person. We should follow we should follow those intuitive um breadcrumbs and and stories help us to kind of pull out past the logic that we have uh that we sometimes use as armor. Um, mm. because to be truthful, you know, I don't think people are walking around saying, I don't care about what's happening to my neighbors. I don't care about other people, but sometimes we put on armor and we use logic to do that. My experience is informing what I think about the world so that I can go through, through my life, my daily routine without being bogged down by all the trouble, by all the inconveniences, by all the nastiness, um, that is in our world. Now that's some people. And I think that's the majority of people. And what stories do is help us to kind of break down that wall. Um, it's only for a minute, it's only for 30 minutes um, to get past, you know, the armor of our logic and to speak to one another's heart. And I think that's really important work. I think we practice that by uh, sharing stories in our family. You know, we do that when we ask our children, how was your day at school? they begin to tell us a story. And so storytelling begins to kind of work, you know, that heart muscle, the muscle of empathy, the muscle of imagination that we need, that we use to do the work of racial reconciliation. So I think telling a story, any story, um, is, is great scaffolding, great work for doing, for preparing to kind of, um, for preparing, continuing to do the heavy lifting that is uh, racial reconciliation. Hmm. So I just want to um, share with you one of uh, one of my favorite stories, and and this story is not necessarily about racial reconciliation, but it's just one of my favorite church stories to tell. So when I, I, I guess you would imagine that you know when I go around and work with folks that I ask them to tell me stories about race, but I don't. What I ask them to do is tell me stories about their everyday living or their experience of church. And so I usually, in Episcopal settings, ask people to tell me the story of their baptism. Some people don't remember because a lot of times we baptize babies in our church. Some people are baptized as older folks, so they do remember and they share that story. Um, and folks who are baptized as babies, they tell me the story that their families have told them. Um, and then for Episcopalians, I normally ask them to tell me the story of their confirmation. And so one of my favorite stories comes from, um, from a woman in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. 
And I asked her to share with me the story of of her confirmation. And she immediately tells me about her cousin's confirmation. And I'm thinking, well, where is this going? And so her cousin was a year older than her. And at their church, you know, 12 and 13 year olds were confirmed. So her cousin goes into the confirmation process before she does. And she says she remembers her cousin being dressed in all white and wearing a veil and having, you know, little white gloves. And in in the church, um, when I grew up, uh, you didn't have, you had a first communion when you were like a little kid, maybe kindergarten, first grade. And then you didn't have communion again until you were confirmed. And so she's telling me about her cousin's confirmation and how her cousin went up and the bishop put his hands on her head and, um, you know, confirmed her. And then she went up for communion. And when her cousin came back to sit down beside her in the pew, she said, let me smell your breath. And I said, well, why did you want to smell her breath? She said, I just wanted to smell Jesus. Wow. And this is a 10 year old. You know, and so I'm getting goosebumps. I get goosebumps every time I tell the story that a 10 year old understood what we were doing in our in our liturgical story every single Sunday. And Mm -hmm. it moved her so much that she wanted just any little waft essence of, of Jesus that she could get from her cousin who was able to receive the host and and the wine. So if I tell that story about why confirmation is important, about how children are learning in our in our churches, in, in our synagogues, like people think children aren't paying attention, right? But children really are. And so that is a story that I tell to say that children are learning from us what's important, what what um, matters, what's strengthening. And and this is proof. This story is proof. Yeah. All right. So if 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 you have if if we have like a a pastor or maybe any congregant from any any parish right now uh, from 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 from, from a synagogue to a church and wondering okay i'm in i buy this i get this this makes so much sense you said it gets you from your head right to your heart it provides a scaffolding for us to open up our hearts and be empathetic and to really hear each other so if there's a church that's wondering because i get phone calls from other pastors being like how how do you how do we how do we commit to this work of racial reconciliation without people running for the running for the doors? Um, when you have you seen that you you propose like you mentioned before, you don't even mention race. So sometimes you just say, let's provide a space of storytelling. And is mm-hmm. it something that's just like the nuts and bolts of this? This is like just something programmatic that you say, like this is like a Wednesday night thing, and we're gonna how, how do you how I guess for lack of a better term, how do you brand it to get the biggest, biggest attraction? Yeah, so, so okay, there you can do a series. Uh, the Episcopal Church has um, the Becoming Beloved Community Story Sharing Campaign, um, and you can find resources for that, a free guidebook to help congregations um, begin the work of storytelling. And we, we do everything from light touches to, um, you know, like series or retreats if you want to do a retreat. But I would say if, if a congregation is interested, um, and just starting this work, one of my favorite things to do, and I'm sorry, I had the spiritual gift of ADD. I was just thinking, Florida is a great place for this because people come from all over, you know, to right. Florida. Like, so, you know, you'll get stories from, from all over the United States, all over the world, really. Um, so ask people to bring maybe the oldest picture they have in their home 
or a picture that their grandfather or grandmother left them. So one, some people are going to have pictures from, you know, five generations back. Some people will only have a picture of their family and that'll be a story. You know, some families have had fires or have to move so, so often, you know, that they don't carry a lot of things. Some families have been, let's say in, in, in Southeast Florida, you know, since uh, there was a swamp there. Uh, so, you know, these, these small things are going to, you know, have people tell stories about themselves and their families, which disarms us. But in America, as you said, you know, race is our original sin. And when we bring those pictures, they're going to tell a story about race too. So for example, my family has lived in North Carolina since, I don't know, they came over on some slave ship. My husband's family has lived in North Carolina two generations, right? But his, his family came from Poland and, you know, Southwest Texas back to North Carolina. Well, I don't know how they got here from Indiana, Southwest Texas, Poland, all of it, right? But he's going to have some things, you know, he has, uh, my, my, my wedding ring is his great, great grandmother's wedding ring. And he has been able to keep that because of, you know, because in America, white families have had more stable existences. And so the oldest thing that I have may not be something of value. And so bringing, bringing those oldest things begins to help us see that there are concrete differences in who mm -hmm. we are and concrete, concrete differences in how we move and keep things and what we value in, in America mm -hmm. because of who we are, because of how we look, because of our backgrounds. So that's an easy one-off thing that a church can do. And you don't need to invite other people in if you're a church that, you know, is all black or all white. You know, we're going to get the story of race because we all are living with this reality um, mm -hmm. in sharing our story. It's just how do we parse that out? How do we begin to look and see with new eyes how race is affecting the way we come at our faith? Um, or, or the way that we interpret our lives today. What would you say that it provides a great opportunity? So for instance, we are St. Mary's Episcopal Churches, five minutes away from another Episcopal Church called St. Monica's, which is mm -hmm. pretty much an all Bahamian church. And mm -hmm. so we have a, a, a good relationship uh, with them. And so this, there's one way where when I first got into ministry, I was like, we're going to get together and talk about race. Yeah, that's going to you know, the people of St. Monica, they're like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Like, and I even think from people from St. Mary's are going to be like, I'm good. Like, I, I did that <laughs> at my corporate job. They had race relations training. Our diocese yeah. did it. It went over, like, you know, sandpaper on our face. Like, it just doesn't go over. Like you say, we're going to get together with St. Monica's. And we're going to do some storytelling. We're going to celebrate yeah. our community as one church. We're going to celebrate our community. All these live stories that we have here as Stuart folks, people who love this community. Let's get together and share. I, I, I know, I know people at St. Mary's will get so excited about this because they're going to be like, I want to know more about the Bahamian experience. I want to know more about their culture. I want to know about our brothers and sisters over there. And we don't spend enough time over there just because just how church stuff works. So let's get together and let's tell some stories, some sacred stories. Maybe we have some music. I don't know. We do something to create like an event yeah. around it. There it's going to get, the story thing will attract people. People love to hear good stories. You know, yeah. my, I remember I was telling uh, uh, our producer, Evan, that, 
Yeah, I know probably I think I, I think I commiserated with you one time when uh, I, I was just a, a, a little intern at, at Trinity Wall Street about writing a sermon and just, I was spending so much time reading all the scholarship and you told me you told me and I still remember this today you said stop reading the scholarship just keep right. on reading the word see how it connects to your heart you know I think you said like yeah read a commentary or two but really Get to your heart, know the word, and speak from your heart. And it's, it's reminded me today to put down the book, because when I speak from the heart, I get to my story. Where mm-hmm. is my vulnerability? Where is my, what is the gospel speaking to me? And when I do that, open up my heart, that's when people in the congregation are like, holy cow, that really connected yeah. with me. But when I get all and heady, I, yeah, people are like, nah, they fall asleep, right? Fall asleep. Yeah. So I just, that, that, that idea that if, so I guess there's a long way to get to this question. Do you find, though, that there's, a, a, especially in these times we're in right now, there's a lot of fruit to bear if you can be a little intentional of saying, is there a neighbor parish that maybe doesn't have the same demographic that you do, and that can bear some fruit, and so you don't have to talk about race on the, on the, the not on the title, but it's naturally going to happen if you get a diverse audience. Yeah, and it'll happen if you have a, a homogenous audience, you know, because that is, you know, the world that we live in. I remember going into a church and it was a, a all white church in New York City. And these two women had been sitting just one pew away from each other. And so I asked them to tell the story of how they found their church. And, you know, they both just told these moving stories about walking down the street and, you know, having a hard time and walking into this place and immediately feeling welcome. And this church has, you know, beautiful uh, art behind their their altar on the Raragoff and you know being drawn to this uh this ascension mosaic and these two women had never had a conversation beyond you know the weather like kind of kind of niceties greeting one another on a Sunday morning but telling the story about how they found their community gets them a little bit closer to sharing you know, ideas and thoughts about what's happening in their world. So those two people, you know, before probably wouldn't have had the tools or even, you know, the ability to approach one another to talk about big things like, you know, the death and murder of George Floyd or, you know, um, what, you know, what's happening in Israel and Palestine. But when we begin to tell stories, even in our own communities, even in homogenous communities, we begin to open up a way to kind of approach those big topics. So I think, you know, you don't have to worry about like creating or, you know, manufacturing this diverse audience. Just start in your own parish. But if you do go down the street and, you know, like I love the idea of of bringing, you know, St. Mary's and St. Monica's together to talk about, you know, maybe tell stories about your baptism or your confirmation or your wedding dates, those big, you know, kind of, salient moments in our faith um I think it'll be interesting and fun and joyful and you know shout out to the Bahamians a lot of my students at St. Augustine's University are Bahamians and they are my best chapel students they are uh, like they they tell me what to do like so I think you'll have so much fun they are not no Reverend Hershey don't do that I'm like okay No, 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 that, that, that is true. And, and it's, it's, uh, they keep St. Mary's in check with our literature uh, and they are, we're, we're, we're close to snake belly low and, and low church and they are not. And they'll be like, father Christian, no, you're not doing that. If you come over and guest preach, you are going to do this. 
the true and one way of the Anglican Church. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, my students um, are like, don't you want to get that incense together, Reverend Hershey? Like, that's right. Like, Go ahead. <laughs> that's right. Smoke it out. Um, I, I don't know. If you, are you familiar with EFM Education for Ministry? Yes, I I did EFM when I was at the bank. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're out there telling stories about money. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I remember the, and at the time I thought it was silly, but I think, you know, I, I did it for about four years, five years, and ended up mentoring some groups, and I, now that I'm thinking, re reflecting on that, there was that first step at EFM that you had to tell your spiritual story, and I, yeah. I know they changed the template a bit, and so maybe they threw this out, but I, you had to, like, there was this, um, like, a timeline, uh -huh. you had to go in front of the whole class, your group, it was basically a small group, like five, six people, and, and tell your spiritual story, and, and use this line graph to put significant moments of your development and formation, and so the first part of this class, it can get so heady, so we're talking about a three-year course in the Episcopal Church, or four-year, four-year course, right, and you meet yeah. every week, it's like mini seminary in a box about Old Testament, New Testament, uh, church history, church and, history and, and, and theology. Yeah. Yeah. theology yeah. and you, you you can get real heady real quick but what EFM did was no we're going to start out with our spiritual stories and we want everyone to really take the time to come back to class and we let off with one each each Monday um I think they our, our class refers to EFM as every effing Monday um but <laughs> um, but, but we learned I learned so much about people's highs and lows and I remember there's a gentleman in there who I thought was kind of this arrogant yes i was being very judgmental um, arrogant guy who had his nose in the air to the rest of us um and he told this story of how he had this horrible injury he was a big baseball star and he had this horrible injury as a, as a teenager that changed his whole career and he had to go in and selling medical machines and he was going to go to the mlb and i just got to know his heart at this idea of loss of lost dreams and i can now connect to that and he and i started having these real conversations after that um, which i don't think would have ever happened if we just would have dove into the text and just started getting all heady um, so this is listen everyone I, I just think that in your communities and this is not just a faith-based thing any secular group any secular organization you've got a book club and you guys have been meeting for four years but you haven't been able to get underneath the surface uh, storytelling and inviting opportunity for people to tell their stories um, Reverend Hershey, for folks, and we'll put it in the show notes, but if there's ways where other ways, you mentioned the beloved community that's on the Episcopal Church's website. Are there other tools, nuts and bolts, ways that people can explore the how-to, how do I do anything, start this, whether it's at my church, my synagogue, or wherever? Yeah, so one of, one of my favorite resources is the um, Roadside, uh, I think it's called Roadside Circle. I'll, I'll put it, I'll give it to you for the show notes, but oh, Roadside Theater story circles. And that's a great way to just begin to tell stories, even in secular communities, not even, also in secular communities. You could just ask, you know, ask their small group, your, your book group, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? And you will get some incredible stories. Um, you could ask people, what, what was the best meal you ever had? And people will tell you some incredible stories. These are just super simple, easy questions. And they begin to elicit from us, you know, uh, our loves, our passions, um, our fears and, and desires. And so, you know, I commend uh, everyone to, to, to the work of stories. Um, and you know what? 
as as you're driving, if you're still driving, because I mean that would be a long commute, but I hope you're not. I you know this week ask yourself, uh, where have you seen God, and commit to telling one person where you've seen the holy this week. Um, it'll be it, it's it's interesting to slow down and begin to kind of shape your your story around um, around God and the holy and how God is showing up in your everyday life. I think it's a good tool for to hand off to the parents who are looking to you and I know the most influential pastor in a kid's life are are their parents. And so parents are always wondering, well, how do I do this at home? And how do I talk about this? And that question right there, you know, before you go to bed, before you're talking in your kid, have that story time of where did you see the holy today? Where did you see God? Tell me a story about that. Um, uh, that, that's, that's an easy, simple tool to do some storytelling around the sacred. And then you share where you saw God. And you know, now you're both are having this really holy moment. And then you pray, then pray yeah. together before you go to bed. And that, that's that's simple, it's easy, but it's not like let's go read the book of Job together and now good night. <laughs> no, let's 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 tell the story of where we saw the sacred today. And maybe you want to add some scripture to it and then pray, go to bed. That's a nice, you know, so that 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 one's free. After that, now Reverend Hershey's gonna charge you. $200 an hour for, for, for more, but no, honestly, for, for any community, if you want to uh, have Reverend Hershey, she does uh, do workshops and conferences and speaking engagements about sacred storytelling. Um, Reverend Hershey, what is the, the easiest way for, for people to get in contact with you? Oh, Father Krishna, I'm old school. Google me, call me at work, send me an email, <laughs> or you can find me on Facebook, Hershey Millette Stevens. So Reverend Hershley, Reverend Hershey Millett Stevens, um, and is it Millett or Mallet? Millett. Mallet. Phew. I didn't thought thought I might be murdering that all the whole show. <laughs> um, again, she is the dean of St. Augustine's Chapel in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, she served the presiding bishop for the Office of Evangelism. Um, it has been a joy to have you Thanks on so here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we've gone from our head to our heart today. Whenever we do that, that's a very good thing. That's where God just erupts. So God bless you, sister, and fighting the good fight and loving on people and having people tell their sacred stories. Um, God bless you and your work out there, sister. Thank you, and we'll thank see you, you out you. there. Thank in the you, Father Christian. Stay cool. <laughs> All right, Ms. Reverend Hershey. So out everyone out there, please subscribe to our podcast. You can just Google a priest and a rabbi podcast. You will see the show notes where you'll see all this good stuff about Reverend Hershey, where you can find out more about her, about these tools that we were talking about. Go tell those sacred stories with your children, with your communities. My producer right now is telling me to speed up. So I'm going to get out of here. Be good. Love on someone. We'll see you here next Friday on a priest and a rabbi. Peace. <laughs>